always remember, you deserve happiness. Meet the Kennedys at Lassiter's, hole at the waterhole. A cup of tea at Harold Sonia's nursery for a stroll. It's time to neighbors, CJK and Vaya. Let's get the neighbors. Hello, this is Neighbours. We are the Neighbours Recap Podcast and we discuss episodes of the Aussie soap opera, It's a Grand Time. I'm Vaya. I'm in Melbourne's Pirate Net Studios connecting via the hive. I'm going to fire Ned. I've decided I'm firing Ned from the hive because he's got a shoddy setup. I'm jack of it. But I have connected via Pufferfish's piss engine to CJ, the hot mess mum. Hello. Hello. We can see each other too. This is weird. I know. I waved, which is <laughs> like actually my work life now. I just like wave at people like I'm on play school. And you've got the dog in the background and everything. Yep. And a brand new guest, two neighbours, and this is a thrill because it is my favourite feminist commentator, Karen Pickering. Hello, Karen. Wow. Hello. What an <laughs> honour to be your favourite. Yep, right up there. Because Karen has a podcast, well, had a podcast and it's making its grand return, Cherche La Femme. Well, it wasn't a podcast, it was a live show. That's right. A live, a live talk show and it ran for seven years and then I got knocked up and I couldn't run these huge events anymore and uh, I thought, okay, well, seven years is a good run, that's that. And then, you know, I've missed it so much the whole time and I, I kind of thought maybe a way to bring it back is by podcast. So that is coming to you very soon. So people can follow you, Karen Pickering, on Instagram and you can keep everyone across it. Yes. And I'm in the middle of realising I've got a nine-month-old and I'm kind of... <laughs> You're just spotting that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread and I'm forever trying to prevent myself from running around screaming to everyone, it's a lie, you can't have everything once you have a baby. There's like a woman in her 20s at work and I was trying to have a meeting with her over the phone while I was making hash browns from scratch for my baby and then he picked one of them up and threw it on the floor and I just was moments from telling her, do not ever have a child if you want to achieve anything. And I was like, what am I, how am I, who is this person and this is the perfect time to get stuck into some International Women's Day gear and <laughs> with neighbours because <laughs> I'm hanging by a thread. This is why I wanted Karen on. I thought a few weeks ago I thought International Women's Day is coming up. Neighbours must be planning something big because last year they had an all-female cast, an all-female writing team, directing team behind the episode. So I thought this will be a cracker. And don't forget we had an International Men's Day. I will never forget. <laughs> yeah. Karen, guess what they did for International Men's Day? I don't know. The boys went on schoolies oh. week <laughs> without their girlfriends. They all had fights with the girls. And they uh, misused an app. Right. So there is some stuff we can get Karen's read on for the gender politics or Neighbours. But first, Karen, what's your background with Neighbours? I was a Neighbours kid. I was heavily into Neighbours Probably from its beginning, which is telling you my age. Um, Not and far so, off our co-host Kate. She was there yeah, from day dot. Yeah, I'm 43. So for me, like the heyday of Neighbours from my childhood is like literally Scott and Charlene and, you know, Des and Daphne and 
um, the original Mrs. Mangle, etc. I was, you know, like most kids at the time, obsessive about watching it and knowing everything that had happened. And then it kind of fell away. And then I remember getting really into it again when I was at, supposedly at uni. So they're my scare quotes, yeah. uni. And uh, I just like our just current wa- characters are supposedly at uni. <laughs> I just watched so much TV when I was supposed to be studying. And so then I got really back into it then, which I think was around like the Scullies, you know, having 50 million mm-hmm. beautiful daughters and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. It was an exciting time. So um, I have like a long history with Neighbours and a kind of on-again, off-again love affair, but I did watch the episodes that you asked me to and I didn't know who 90% of the people were. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's, that's <laughs> how this goes. But there was still a Toadie and still a Carl and Susan. Yeah, I was like, Toadie, this is not the Toadie that I want to see. I want to see Hawaiian shirt Toadie with like long long ringlets um you, and I was they do really, give you a taste of Hawaiian shirt toady every now and then <laughs> do they does, does he kind on of his days off yeah and I noted Carl's goatee with some consternation I wasn't super into that and I also reacted strongly to Paul being called granddad because I was like <laughs> Paul was like you know in the the posters you hung up on your wall when I was a kid like Paul was like a bit of a hottie well he's still in mine Karen so, yeah, I was like, oh, this young woman must be his daughter. And then she's like, oh, granddad. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry, do you have to? No, edit that that's out? me encouraging. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So there were a few kind of shocks like that. And I noticed in the credits as well, I was like, oh my God, that's Jane. Oh my God, that's Clive. And they are from the original. Yeah, there's a lot of favorites. Mm. And let me shock you again. Do you know young Harlow who called him granddad? Do you know who the actor is that plays her? No, tell me. Gemma Donovan, daughter of Jason. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. What a great legacy, a dynasty. Apart from not knowing most of the people, how did you feel jumping back in? What was the vibe that you got apart from devastation? It was literally like no time had passed. (laughs) Within five (laughs) minutes I was completely invested in everyone of course I was plunged into a terribly sad departure as well but I was like how can I care what is happening to everyone when I don't know what is going on or who they are but it's just something about that kind of familiarity of just you know back on Ramsey Street and I think it's like the sets even look like they've been updated but they're essentially the same sets and it just felt like putting on a pair of old warm slippers. Yeah. Especially because as soon as they walk out their front door, they're back on the street, like the same steps and everything. Uh, and also yeah. everyone's there with casseroles <laughs> when you need them. Yeah, and I loved the, um, like it seemed like there were kind of these stock characters that have come back, like Sheila is now the kind of updated Madge slash Mrs. Mangle kind of character, you know, and yeah. it seems like, um, yeah, I could tell who that sort of archetypes were. And that's very comforting too when you go to watch something and it's like, oh, I don't actually need to know the details. I just need to know the sort of broad brushstrokes, if you will. Yeah. And, and in that vein, during pandemic and also other disruptions the world's had in the last I don't know, 50 years, Um, 
people feel calmness in that. So hopefully this is when Neighbours will like revive and get all of this new audience. If it's not that, it'll be Vaya's TikToks that do it. <laughs> yeah, so let's slide into Neighbours Council business. Sweetie, it's just business. Because I need everyone on the Neighbours TikTok, Neighbours Pod on TikTok because we are getting, there's people that are swarming there that are like, is Neighbours still on? And we are going to get those people back on. So come and find us there and find CJ at her new podcast about maths, Married on Maths. Is it going well? Episode three, <laughs> CJ? Yeah. We're, fame has got to our head. We had like more than three people listen, so now we've gone twice a week. Yeah. And you got a lovely review, beautiful review. I've read it 7,000 times. <laughs> and our Facebook group is available to join Neighbours Council on Facebook. And thanks to Ellie who joined, listens to podca- the podcast at night when I'm crocheting or trying to doze off. She's a gal after my mum's heart. So appreciate the crochet community jumping on board the Neighbours train. And patreon.com slash neighbourspod is where we will upload a trimming. We probably won't do one for this episode because Ned and the Hive let us down technologically. So we're just going to keep this efficient But um, there's heaps of bonus bits and pieces. Actually, that's what I'll do this week. I'll upload the Ben Hall review that I did of his play like three years ago. So I'll put that on Patreon this week to make up for no trimming. Because you're doing business with you. Now, March 8, 2021, International Women's Day. I tune in. I have high hopes and Neighbours kills a woman. (laughs) Kills her. (laughs) To be fair, she already had Huntington's. (laughs) Oh, is that what she had? Right. I was just watching and I was like, why can't she have chocolate? Like what's the... They're going really hard line on their diabetes messaging, like the minute you have chocolate. What disease is it that you can't have chocolate? I was like racking my brain. I thought, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if it's a made-up disease because I'm feeling a lot of emotions right now. Yeah, it was really swift and tragic. And so she's had this Huntington's disease. They've planted the seed a long time ago and her daughter has the gene as well and, and the disease. It just hasn't manifested yet. And she's not a regular character. She's sort of a regular guest character. And we see her every now and then and she's been playing this deterioration really beautifully. And finally this was her last visit. And she ingested this chocolate from bloody Gazcan's chocolate salty balls and then she got the pneumonia and Clive's like, pack it up, this is it. She didn't (laughs) want to tell the kids but then started coughing up blood and we've all seen Moulin Rouge, we know that that she doesn't have long. And so Sheila's with her. Suddenly Sheila's besties with Faye. CJ, do you have memories of the two of them hanging out before this? I think it's something to do with sharing men. Yeah. Yeah. It is actually though, Karen. I so, thought it was just like Sheila was just like the Ramsey Street busybody who's always sort of like inserting herself into every situation, which is why I love her. Also <laughs> true. She's wonderful. She also did insert herself into Faye's ex-husband. Um, so, <laughs> Or rather uh, the reverse. Yeah, yeah well, however <laughs> they did it, it wasn't clear. And Hamish. Oh, yes. Because he was Faye's lover. Who, not my husband, the other one that oh was on TV. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Sorry. My mind is blown from the show I've been watching for six years and covering on a podcast. That's right. So, okay, Faye, let's play. Okay, for the last time, let's play Mar Brennan's introductory jingle. Brennan? 
Brennan? Brennan? Brennan? So Ma Brennan has four kids and they are all catalogue model level of attractiveness. Yeah. Right, okay. She's a sophisticate from the Barossa Valley. Faye's a sophisticate from Barossa. And she's got Mark and Aaron and Chloe. Yeah, now Tyler is a tricky biscuit. (laughs) CJ, explain Tyler. So Tyler, he is a half-sibling of the other three. He only found out he was a half-sibling later in life when he was living on Ramsey Street with his brother, just Mark, the elder brother that's not there. Now, Aaron's had a bad relationship with the father. He's gay. There's been a, you know, traumatic experience with the dad and his sexuality. Chloe, Chloe's bi and Russell never had a problem with that. So, I mean, doesn't that say something about men yeah. like Russell? Um, you know. So Tyler finds out that his mum had an affair with this, like, billionaire guy called Hamish on an island, was it? On a boat. It was in Port Lincoln or something. Or, um, no, it was Echo Point or something. Somewhere in Memory Co. Memory Co. <laughs> Memory Co. Far away in time. Memory Co. Far away in time. Memory Co. So they in had, like, co. a love affair and then she went back to her husband, already pregnant, with their youngest child, Tyler. Now, speaking of youngest, Tyler's girlfriend, he was an adult of an undescribed age, but he had a job. He wasn't an apprentice mechanic, so he'd done the apprenticeship. Yep, full mechanic. Um, He had other adult things like tattoos, but schoolgirl girlfriend. Mm. And everyone was just okay with it because they were in love. I mean. Because they had good chemistry. That's not uh, unrealistic in terms of how the world operates, but it's gross. It's gross. (laughs) Um, And he was on charges for killing Hamish. Hamish died in the spa tub, (laughs) face down, the sex tub rather. Yeah, he and it was Guy Fawkes night, so he had this cape spread out around him in the hot tub. But we digress. Yeah. So there are two, (laughs) Faye had two men in her life, Russell and Hamish. Russell Mm -hmm. passed away from natural causes off screen, and then Hamish in the hot tub, hit over the head with a garden gnome, story for another time. And <laughs> Sheila had romances with both of them and is now best buds with Faye. It's like they've come together and they've realised we are the ones who are the strongest in all of these relationships and we are better together as pals. Mm. as before bros. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good for them. Literally, because while Faye is no longer with us, the ladies outlive the men. So this escalates so fast. It goes from coughing up blood to quick get the kids around. Dr. Knacker's like, hey, this is pneumonia. This is serious. And Nicolette, who's a nurse, snaps into gear and says, we need to call palliative care. Actually, bring them here. Palliative care to your door. And their bed is set up in the middle of that Brendan quick sticks. And Nicolette has a funny old story. So there's a lot of sexuality diversity on Neighbours at the moment, which is wonderful. We have Chloe who's bi, Aaron who's gay, Nicolette who's a lesbian. Uh, Nicolette is in love with Chloe and she, in the meantime, has offered to be a surrogate for the couple, Aaron and David. So she's now carrying the baby of her crush's brother. And it's her egg. Yeah. She's carrying... 
biologically the her child, child the as well. biological yeah. child of the person that she wants to be with. Well, it wasn't his sperm because he didn't want to pass on Huntington's, so they've used David's sperm. It's really nice that everyone's so gay on Neighbours now. Like I was yes. like, I was like, this is so nice, like not in a pervy way but just like, oh, yeah, you know, everyone's just getting amongst it. Like that would never have happened back in the day. So I feel like. It, and it was very incidental. It wasn't like, I guess, the early steps that Neighbours took towards having gay characters was always like, wow, they're so, every storyline's about how gay they are. And like, you know, <laughs> and there was sort of drama and people didn't like it. And, you know, whereas now it's just like, it treated very much exactly the same as any other marriage or any other, you know, ill-conceived, come on the night your mum dies. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that was just very natural and normal. I thought that was nice. And I feel like they're almost there. We have a trans character uh, played by Georgie Stone. Yes. Um, Mackenzie. And she had some amazing plot points early on, but it's almost like they brought her in as this kind of issues-based character and didn't flesh out her personality much at the start. And now they're sort of heaping on all these strange traits on her, like um, – getting really attached to the the adult couple she lives with and really into people's relationships and you don't really know what. Well, she is studying law, so isn't she? Yeah. So that's her personality is that she's, like, beautiful, she's studying law, she has, like, romantic troubles and she loves love. Yeah, don't cross her. Yeah, don't cross her. And she wears the clothes of a 40-year-old lady Mm. and... (laughs) Also, she's irritating everyone with her what about meanness all the time. Yeah, holier than thou. When she was, oh. like, having her affirmation surgery, she was so much more chill than she is about, like, not getting the right order at the cafe. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I'm having surgery. And, like, she came back and was like, no time to recover. I'm fine. <laughs> However. So she's a trans character on Neighbours and she went through the the gender affirmation on yeah. As part of, the, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it, yeah, was, it was just great. like, you know, like Neighbours is always having like, you know, every five minutes like a new child has moved there for some reason. You know, like, yeah. oh, this is my like mm, estranged sister's next door neighbour's kid or whatever and they're going to live with us for a while. <laughs> and I thought it was just like however she arrives at Ramsey Street, she's living with people who aren't her family. They wrote her in really nicely in terms of it made sense plot-wise so she's connected to Tony Rebecca's family, his in-laws, because she grew up in the same country town as his brother Shane, Pufferfish Rebecca, and interacted with his kids. So Puffy felt really awful. He was racked with guilt because he convinced her father, Paul Mercurio, to reject her need to dress in dresses and express herself when she was younger. And he's like, you've got to shut that down. And he did. And then they had a rift and so he's like had this guilt and he's like, no, we'll take you in, Mackenzie. We're so sorry with how we treated you and um, I'm going to make up for it and look after you now because Paul Mercurio is a, not a great dad still. Yeah. And Paul Mercurio is gone presumably. Yeah, he lives in New South Wales or something. Like they couldn't afford to have him as a regular character. <laughs> he's, and he's now in a like a local MP or something, CJ? He's a local um, area, area councillor. Yeah. Council business. Yeah. But there's two. Clive, he is a counsellor in Eltham. As well as being on Neighbours. Yeah, you need a part-time job if you're on Neighbours now. (laughs) That is wild. 
old. Yeah, like one of the um, recurring guesties is the set nurse for like COVID-19 checks. Ooh. I had a huge, huge, huge crush on Clive when he was the redhead, like when he was like the um, the doctor and he did, used to do like the gorilla grams and stuff. Do you remember that? That's very uh, old. Every now and then they make mention of the gorilla gram oh. and once he had a fight because he went out with Sheila for a while oh. and they had a fight. <laughs> so she dressed up as the gorilla gram to say sorry. Yeah, I had it for him bad actually, but that's like 1987-ish. <laughs> And Jane was called Plain Jane the Super Brain, of course. Um, don't need to tell you. And, uh, yeah, had it off with Guy Pierce, right? Yeah. Half a luck. But she's like, I don't need Guy Pierce. I've got Clive Gibbons. <laughs> now, I just need to make sure we understand how beautiful I found this episode and how heartbreaking it was. I was in tears. I'll do a TikTok of me watching it in tears. Karen sent me a picture of herself in tears. CJ, yeah. you were crying. Yeah, I watched this whole week actually on my computer with my AirPods while my son was playing in the room and I just kept crying and he kept coming over to try and like fix me. It's like it was probably as bad as when Sonia died a year ago, two years ago. Tony's wife. Yeah. She died around International Women's Day too. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's a tradition. Maybe when they see it in the calendar they think, oh, (laughs) we need to knock someone off. Yeah, we need to kill someone and, and, and ruin their employment options. Because the big Women's Day episode with her was, it was two years ago when they they got all the women together to explain to little Nelly Fish that women could do whatever they wanted and that was Sonia's, like, last wish. Um, now, Chloe and Aaron then rally around their mum and there's lots of lovely montages of them having laughs and reading books and comforting her and then they set up a moonlight cinema in the Branacca's backyard. Yeah, and it, with popcorn and Nic- Nicolette has arranged it all and they've got the home movies of Aaron and Chloe and the, all the Brennans as kids. Which is as close as we got to seeing Mark again, which is upsetting. Yeah, I thought they did that quite well in that they kept saying we better call Mark and Tyler and say mum's not got long, but she kept saying no, don't call them. Which what do you think that was about? So, I mean, obviously it was because they couldn't get the actors back. But in regard to yeah. <laughs> people, I think people do things like that when they're dying. When my grandmother was dying, she didn't want anyone to be there when she was dying. And so she would say awful things like, leave, I've got to die tonight. <laughs> oh, God. And <laughs> she was on a lot of drugs. You know, you, you do, you, Nan. But um, people, they want to die how they want to die. And she obviously didn't want Mark around cleaning up, you know? No. He's a clean freak. And Tyler just falling over things probably. So Tyler Um, didn't murder his father? No, turns out it was that guy's other kid. Yeah. (laughs) He's still Cassius. He still coward gnomed his father. Like he still bashed him over the head with a gnome. It's just that that's not what killed him. Someone else finished him off. Oh, dear. All right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't find the daylight cinema the most convincing slash emotive part. I did find the part, you know, the night before. I thought they should have just had her die then. <laughs> that, was my, <laughs> that was my feeling was that they had kind of like over-egged the pudding by having her wake up the next day. I was like, <laughs> hang on, I've just fucking cried. Like, I've <laughs> That was it. 
I've listened to the sad song. I've watched them hold hands and her fade away. And now they're like, oh, let's go to the movies. I was like, come on, guys. The only way they would have got me with the movies, it was sweet that they had the home movies playing, but I was hoping that they would all watch E.T. Because all the Brennan kids have E.T. nicknames for each other, like Gertie and Elliot. And if they had just flat out said, we're going to watch E.T. for the last time, that would have been enough. They didn't need to say, this is the, these are the kids getting together to watch E.T. And, you know, it was too many layers. Yeah, and they could have, like, mum, she could have had some popcorn and really do herself in, I guess. But, um, but yeah, and they could have turned to mum at the end of the movie and said, that was good, mum, and she didn't respond or something. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. They wouldn't have watched ET again. I thought I didn't like the Bride of Chucky reference. I was like, this is a clanger. Don't go for this, like, what are you doing? You're kind of going too far away with your pop culture references into a territory that's not. <laughs> tonally consonant, you know. I was like, come on, neighbours, lift. Something I just I noticed resonated with a lot of people online and it did me, that bed in the family room. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I That's mean, what happened with my grandma. You're saying if your grandma um, wanted everyone to go. My grandma was a bit the opposite. She was sort of much more grumpy and mean in real life. And then when she was dying, she became really super nice. And um, <laughs> which, when it was really nice to spend lots of time with her. And she wanted everyone around and the bed was in the middle of, you know, one of her son's, uh, grown son's houses and we would all go over there and the bedroom could, the lounge room rather could fit, you know, 20 of us rather than like a hospital room. Um, and I have really fond memories of that. We had a few people reach out, friends of the pod. Georgie said it reminded her of when she lost her mum and Nick said that he had a very similar journey to the Brennans in that he knew his mum was ill but her decline was very rapid and there was 48 hours to go and they did have to crowd around the bed and he had a lot of flashbacks watching this episode and it's quite astounding that a very simple story like that with no stunts, no bells and whistles can impact people in that way. I think that's amazing. Um, it felt very real because we often talk about many other cliffhanger episodes where they're on islands and whatnot and murdering people, And but there's just something to be said for the simplicity of real life in someone's sick sick bed and watching them take their last breaths. And Faye, firstly, she played it really well. Like it was oh, so believable. Zoe. Zoe Bertram, hats off. And secondly, makeup, set, everything was done. Like I'm getting goosebumps just remembering how I felt watching it. Like it was visceral. What was that poem Mum used to say? When we couldn't sleep? Yeah, yeah, how does that go? Close your eyes and dream away. For tomorrow brings a brand new day. And when the sun rises once more, you'll find me waiting by your door. And if I'm not there, don't be upset. I'm never far. There's no need to fret. There's no reason to be sad and blue because I'm always here. Yeah, Yeah, and I had no idea of her background as a character, so I couldn't, like, when you guys were explaining this woman who was, like, really sexy and vibrant and, you know, taking all these lovers and doing all this crazy shit, I was like, oh, that seems so shocking and surprising that that would (laughs) be in that person because 
whoever the actor was and the how they played it, you know, she was so convincing as like a very sick person. There was no vanity. There was, you know, sometimes in, in the deathbed scene it's like they still look cute. <laughs> like yeah. she really went for it. Like it was really kind of so frail. And actually models like not unlike April Pengilly who plays Chloe, they often post a, what is it, hashtag no filter, and they still look beautiful because they're well lit and they've got their eyelash extensions and they've had their facial and they've had their lip fillers or whatever and they all still look conventionally attractive. But it's like, mate, give me a real no filter. Yeah, I did feel annoyed that Chloe's makeup was perfect the entire night and that <laughs> in the next morning it had been done again. I was like, for real, bitch, what? Like your mum's dying? Why isn't your makeup plastered all over your face? Like Faye's gone for it 100%. You should have committed. One thing I loved about Chloe is usually she's – really put together with her outfits and they had her in a simple jeans and a button-down shirt. Well, maybe that was her version of, like, super dressed down. Yeah. 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 She still looked a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you're you're contoured. Like, we need to get your priorities right in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of other things to hit on is, firstly, while we're on that, is that moment where Faye is gone and then immediately – it hits them like a ton of bricks, mum's gone. And Chloe's first reaction is to turn to Nicolette and say, thanks for being here. Can you continue to be here in my bed? I was so proud of Nicolette. (laughs) She has been after that Chloe since she got there. And Chloe was married to a man when Nicolette arrived and that man left. He cheated on her and left. And Chloe's by. So when she met Chloe, she thought, you know, she's got a chance. She's said, I'm bi, and she's like, great, I'm a woman. <laughs> Let's do this. And um, and then Chloe's like, oh, but I'm married. And then there was this whole, you know, storyline around her husband's insecurities and that he ended up cheating on her with the local cafe owner. Insecurities read biphobia. Mm. Yeah. And then Nicolette has done anything to be close to Chloe. And the second that Chloe actually, you know, makes a move, she was adult enough to realise this isn't the right thing to do, which Nicolette's had some trouble figuring out the right thing Mm. to do the whole time she's been on the show. So this is great. I couldn't have gotten through today without you. You should go get some rest. I can't be alone tonight. Stay with me in my bed. I mean, has she offered to be the surrogate in order to get close to Chloe and be in the family? Mm. I feel like yes. <laughs> that's pretty extreme. Yeah. I'm, she's like, I've always wanted to have a baby. I'm like, you only mentioned it for the first time literally last week. Yeah. I've always wanted to have a baby and then give it to someone else. Um, <laughs> I, I just decided in this moment that that's the right thing for me to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. She kind of wants to be um, the cool aunt, which means she marries Chloe and she's then right. the cool aunt, you know. Right. Which, you know, queer families do have, like, you know, lots of, like, cool stuff about alloparenting and, like, you know, anything that kind of smashes up that sort of heteropatriarchal nuclear family unit is good. That was kind of realistic too because people do, I think, maybe not within seconds of their mother dying, but people do seek out really inappropriate outlets when they're fucked up, like when they're 
traumatized or upset. So, I mean, I don't think that was so outlandish, but yeah, grief sex, man. Yeah. Bring it on. I thought it was more weird that the um son then accused his husband of killing his mother. <laughs> yeah, that's the other bit I want. That's the bit I wanted to hit on. Talk us through that, Karen. <laughs> Stages of grief. Because I don't know any of these people, but I was like, obviously this doctor slash husband guy is adorable and lovely and sweet and kind. Yeah. And yeah, he's just ripping into him for, well, you had of done all of this other stuff differently that that was not in your purview, that was not your job, that my mother asked you not to do. Seems like a, a big thing to accuse your husband of who you're expecting a child with. Can you tell me this? Why didn't you tell me that mum might have inhaled chocolate? Well, she said she didn't. And you believed her? I had my suspicions, especially after she developed the cough. Well, then you should have said something. We would have made her go to the hospital earlier. And you know what? You should never have told Tony that the truffle thing was okay. No, 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 no. If it wasn't for you, David, Mum might still be alive. Yeah, it's very hard to come back from. And they did come back from it within a day, which was admirable. Like, all right, let's pack up and go to Adelaide. Come on now. You've had your, you've had your tantrum. Let's go. Sorry, I was rude earlier. <laughs> I feel like that's probably the really great thing about um, Boo Boo and Boo Boo. They feel really solid. Like they actually have terrible arguments like most people have with their partners, mm. but we don't assume they're going to go and sleep with the local cafe owner like Chloe's ex-husband did. You know, like they just kind of support each other even though one of them's being terrible, which I guess could be bad, but in them it just feels nice. I don't know why. <laughs> You're into it. Yeah, I mean I had no other context for it, so I was just like, these are wild scenes. These people are a bit unmoored. So they've gone off to Adelaide and meanwhile the other piece of that puzzle is that Mark and Tyler are livid that their siblings have kept this from them. The only issue I had, because this is fascinating stuff to watch four siblings fall out over this because this is again real, is that Ma Brennan didn't really state an accurate, a clear reason for why she didn't want them there. I can understand why she didn't want them there. They've been her carers for the last year or so. Maybe she just didn't want them up in her face again like they have been. I don't know. I would have liked to have her to be explicit to say, I don't want them here for this reason. I think she did. She did at the Daylight Cinema. She said to Chloe that her last day with them was perfect. Oh, her last day with yeah. them. I thought that's what she with said. With the boys. Oh, I misread that. I'm And she said I had one last day with them and yeah. it was perfect. And it was like before she was so sickly oh. and ill and whatever. And so then I thought, yeah, she was almost like she kind of left okay. in order to eat the chocolate and sabotage herself and end it all. I misread that. I thought she meant she and Chloe and Aaron had had a good day. And I'm like, really? They just walked around Aaronsborough. <laughs> That's kind of average. But now that makes perfect sense. Excellent. I take it back. I'm happy with her decision there. God, I would want a webisode of Aaron and Chloe touching down in, in Adelaide and uh, getting the greasies off their brothers. I would have loved to have seen that. Just hearing you say that, Karen, that she didn't want to do it because she had a perfect day, like I feel like I'm about to cry now because imagine feeling that strongly that you wouldn't want to just have one last conversation with your child. Like I know they're adults but, yeah. I mean, obviously she. it's a little bit weird because it's like, oh, but you were happy to like 
have a really shit day with us, like <laughs> on your last day. <laughs> Are those siblings more important to you in a way? But I got the impression, which is very deeply reading into it, but I got the impression that knowing nothing about Mark and Tyler, I thought maybe they were like they couldn't hack it. Tyler wouldn't hack it. But <laughs> and Mark's a new dad as well. That's the other thing. She probably like grandparents are always like, oh no, they've got the baby. Like, you know, older people are like, oh no, they've got the baby. Let them deal with the baby. So maybe she also didn't want to disrupt his routine, which he's very regimented about. Let's leave them because then we they all go off to Adelaide. Beautiful Toadie steps in and books all their flights, including the late Mar Brennan's last flight to Adelaide. And it was a little bit rich of Dr. Nacker to say, we've got to move the body. I'm like, David, a little bit of sensitivity, mate. We have to touch on briefly what happened on Wednesday, which was actually really interesting in terms of gender politics, was a lot of teenagers at uni slash year 13 at Erinsborough High in a new romance and then Hendrix finds out that Brent and Harlow are together. Not only that, they've slept together. He caught the morning after show. So tell me what is the background with Harlow and Hendrix? Cop those names, Harlow and Hendrix. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) What did you call them again, Vaya? Haldrix. Um, So (laughs) Hendrix is the son of the man who cheated on Chloe and left. Right. And Chloe was his his stepmom, who he was in love with for a while because why wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, but he met Harlow and got over it. So he was a bit shit when he got there. He went out with Mackenzie for a little bit when he first arrived. He wasn't a nice guy, but. Shitbag is the term we use, shitbag. Shitbag. I must say there's worse on Neighbours, though, like in the shitbag levels. Brent, for instance, is one that's probably a little worse. (gasps) Yeah, Brent, last time he was here, so he came in as part of the foster care storyline, which like Deborah Lee Furness was involved in and there was a younger kid, like a 13-year-old kid that David and Aaron were fostering because they're like, we want to have a baby, let's foster. And instead of a baby, they got a tween and he came with his older brother we call Brentonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Now Brentonardo has nowhere to stay and he's fallen out with some youths at his halfway house. They've taken him in on the condition that he goes to school and he's discovered his love of textiles and art and he's on the straight and narrow. But last time he was here, Harlow was nice to him and he fully bailed her up against a wall and was, like, expecting her to sleep with him and was menacing and threatening towards her and she, like, had to scream and, you know, fend him off. And now she's his girlfriend. Well, that just goes to show that that stuff really works. <laughs> wow. That's very irresponsible of neighbours not to show that as something that, I mean, given the minutiae of the other arguments that need to be resolved between people, it's really shitty that they wouldn't, like, show that as being behaviour that has massive consequences. I mean, she had a bit of hesitation before she went out with him. Yeah, she was friends with him first, (laughs) which is probably just as bad really, isn't it? She was tutoring him and then he gave her his personal file and she read about his troubled past and Uh, went, I'm going to fix you. mm -hmm. So how do you think, Karen, if there's a character on a show like Neighbours, because we have bad, and I'll say inverted commas, bad um, men who do bad things to women all the time and they get redeemed, how do you think we could be dealing with it? Well, I mean, 
obviously within the limitations of neighbours genre you know what I mean like it's it has to move very fast and it can't be too for want of a better word it can't be too intellectual or academic or deep you know so I feel like maybe it's a bit of a a hangover from the past where they want to use these high impact behaviors because they're really good drama you know they create drama but then they don't want to actually use them as teachable moments or follow up the consequences as a way of showing the audience the difference between good and bad behavior you know because like neighbors is not meant to be the arbiter of what's ethical it's not meant to be like morally pure but if they're constantly doing it as you say because it works and it creates these situations of high drama then that kind of makes me think the writers should be thinking more broadly and sideways about other ways to create drama besides menacing women. Mm-hmm. One thing I think you would have enjoyed, Karen, particularly because you've got a background of talking to school kids, to teens, about consent and things like that, is when Hendrix first arrived on the street and he was a shitbag, he was flirting with Harlow. They had this fake hate thing, the love-hate you know, the TV trope, kiss, kiss, slap kind of vibe. Yes. You know? And arguing all the time, but it was intense. And then at the school dance, he kissed her without her consent. And Susan Kennedy ripped through him, kicked him out of the dance. He was punished. The school had to have a lecture on consent. And it was so good. Yeah. Whereas I feel like two years ago, that would have just been like, oh, they kiss, he kissed me at the dance and mm. now I'm into him or, you know, or mm. now I'm confused or whatever it is. And he had to kind of earn his way back into her heart. But she's got a pattern now of going, okay, he wronged me, but he's he's sorry. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's that tension between what's realistic and what's correct. Should we be aiming higher and showing something as it should be? Like Susan going and ripping him a new one and kicking him out of the dance. I actually don't know many schools where that would happen. But so that's great that they did that because they modelled yeah. in this fantasy world. That's what fucking should happen. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like Neighbours is always going to be or any soap is going to be showing things as they are, showing things in an idealised way, showing things in a surreal way, like this would never happen but, geez, it's entertaining, you know, and it's got to balance yeah. all those things. So I would say like purely from the gender perspective, if they at least started to think, okay, how do we put those characters through their paces afterwards in a way that kind of balances the books a little bit? If they're wedded to the idea of the bad boys, and sure, maybe kids coming through the foster system would have boundary issues or, you know, have not had the best role models in terms of consent and respecting women. So, yeah, it's like, of course they could do better, but it's just do they want to? I kind of wish Harlow had stolen his personal file and read it herself. Like, oh, it was leaked online. I kind of wish she had just sorted it out instead of being pure and angelic and he had to say, no, look, read it. Like to give her more agency kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, okay, I'm going to try and understand this man and boy. Um, I, I want to point out that Paul has his faults but he is not forgiving this boy. That's what I was going to say. Paul is now the moral compass. Instead yep. of any of the peer group having to say, a few of them are like, oh, I remember when he tried to attack you. 
Yeah, no. Um, he's hot now. It's fine. Um, Paul's the one that's like, he's not good enough for my granddaughter. It's like, oh, I can't have a dialogue with you, granddad. Yeah, which because to me, not knowing any of that backstory, I read that that you know pinged my feminist spidey senses because I was like, I can settle down, Paul. <laughs> like, you're not actually in charge of her sexuality. You're not in charge of her body. Don't shame her for wanting to engage in healthy, consensual adult sex. And it felt really regressive, like he was being the, you know, the man with the shotgun on the veranda kind of thing. Yes. I'm near my kid. And so it kind and- of felt like really out of place. But having that context, yeah, you see that he's actually being protective because he's like, I don't want you to be in an abusive relationship. Yeah, and it was a really kind of contrasting scenario to have them at the Flamingo Bar. Like we've got the death and the the grief coming through with the Brennans and then they're like, Lassiter's has a pop-up bar on the lake and it's a beach theme with flamingos as we head into this autumnal pool snap. And Paul's like, jeez, he's going to feed her cocktails. Yeah. And it was weird. to, To be fair. Like it wouldn't matter whether this had happened and there was consent issues. Paul would be acting the same way even if Brent was great. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because he, he found him asleep on the street with a blade in his pocket and he was like, that's it. Nah, he's a ne'er-do-well. And that's kind of, you know, you know, if we want to take the intersectional approach, if this kid is come through the foster system and has a lot of disadvantage and a lot of like not much access to privilege, not much, not much social capital, then it's shitty of like really well-off middle-class people to be like this person's defective and therefore we won't have them around. So it's kind of lots of different tensions there. But I agree that the bar and was that, just ridiculous. I was like. And, looks like and they have explored that a bit, yeah, with um, Brent and Hendrix because Brent's like calling him Richie Rich because he's a son of a billionaire. and there's, They've explored that in that way. I find their dynamic interesting. But then Hendrix has to now go to the, oh, don't hang around with my ex-girlfriend jealousy card yeah and he was just as abusive mm. he was the the rich kid with all the access to all of the privilege and entitlement and upbringing and he still went and bullied her and turned up you know unannounced gave her a mouthful of what he thought about her life which is none of his business and was abusive so it's like well yeah, and he'd spent his whole summer running an illegal blackjack ring and not telling her about it and saying, I've got a summer job. I'm a labourer. Yeah. I felt like Harlow was, like, stuck between this, like, overbearing grandfather, this, like, cute boyfriend who's clearly lying to her and shifty and concealing things from her in some way and an ex who's coming around, like, harassing and menacing her because she dares to move on. Like, I was like, this is fucked. I must say that. I think while there's complexities to all those storylines, you are right on the money. That is exactly the Harlow situation, sadly. Yeah. And we haven't had much time, but the the last moment I asked Karen to have a look at was the end of Thursday night. Oh. What the flippin' heck? I watched the whole episode and um, so obviously I don't know what the book's about or any of the context or anything, but I did think it was like, very vintage neighbours, like it felt, you know, very much like the car crashes of the 80s and 90s because it was like Carl's out of control 
this woman's out of control, you know, and they even did that wobbly camera stuff at the very end, which I love. It was extreme close-up. Yeah, to show that he was, like, unhinged. That very camp, high camp vibe. So we have Olivia Bell, Elise Platt from Sale of the Century. Yeah. And in Susan's business, like, why won't you take my calls? You need to write this book with me. And Carl's been extremely overbearing with Susan, like extinguishing her voice for weeks now. Like you can't be a part of this, even though he accidentally spilled their story to Olivia a different time. And Susan finally said, okay, no, I won't be part of it. And Olivia's been hounding her. And Carl goes into Susan's place of work, which CJ, you mentioned, he's been doing far too often. All the time. He's there all the time. Why isn't he not at the hospital? That's where he works. Or the tram, his side hustle. Yeah. Um, and confronts Olivia at the top of a staircase and then she looked like she took a deliberate tumble almost. She lost her footing in a very direct way. Okay. I thought it was sort of ambiguous whether she tripped and fell because Mm. she's sort of edging backwards away from him. Yeah. Or, yeah, she took a dive in order to, what, presumably secure the book that she wants. I don't know. Um, Totally. Or she's going to write a new one called, like, Black Doctor. Carl, your arrogance is remarkable. Excuse me? Before you're putting words in her mouth. How dare you try and take the moral high ground? She and I had an agreement. No, no, because vultures can't make agreements. They just circle and pick on things. You're preying on my family. Okay. Just right. stop torturing us. Why don't you just go and crawl under that rock you call home, or you will regret it. Is she, is she baddie? Mm. Well... I mean, I just see her as an opportunist. Yeah. We're not going to talk to you about the crimes that happened because we'll be here all night. So she she saw that there were crimes that happened adjacent to the Kennedy family and she's like, I'm a writer, I want to get that payday and I'm going to write the story. So lately, the last few weeks, I'm like, okay, hun, time to find a new angle because Suze isn't playing ball here. Yeah, and she's, I mean, she's like us, really. She's just made a podcast or a book about neighbours. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, imagine if you had Carl coming into your place of work and telling you you couldn't make neighbours. No, do you know what sh- she is? She's the UK audience and Channel 5's like, we're going to be a month behind. We're pausing the broadcast for a month and everyone's like, we just want to consume the content. Channel yeah. Five's like nah, so they're just going around Get down their the ways. stairs. Yeah, because the last time that I watched Neighbours, Carl had an affair with the sexy woman, the sexy sort of Marilyn Monroe woman. Oh right, really? It's like that, is it? Bloody Carl. But yeah, okay. So Carl, Susan, why does Susan put up with Carl? Sometimes she doesn't. Like when they were divorced, my favourite. Oh, so they divorced and reconciled. Yeah. Right. And she got another husband a guy, and he died of cancer. So she married, that was Caitlin Stacey's dad. Like she had Zeke and Rachel as stepkids. So she had another life. So I'm really proud that they did all that. And she was a journo. So I'm like, she had it all going on. And then they came back together. So at least they got to have some fun separately. Hey neighbours, hope you're all doing well. Uh, So this week on Ramsey Street, sadly, it's just another dark day for women, safety, neighbourhood policing in general. Another woman was randomly attacked in broad daylight 
and the police are taking their sort of traditional stance, which is to send Levi into various cafes and bars to sort of ask non-committal questions about it. So um, Sheila has taken the matter into her own hands and started a Ramsey Street neighbourhood watch WhatsApp group. Yes, I'm so here for this. Neighbourhood WhatsApp groups are amazing and awful. And this is just what I need from neighbours right now. So we've got the millennials all complaining that they've been added to a WhatsApp group. We've got Sheila and Roxy making up code names for everyone. As I mean, it's part comforting neighbourhood news, part mild surveillance. Uh, I don't know how far down this road we're going to go, but we have discussed this uh, on the council. We brought it up in October. If there were to be a Ramsey Street WhatsApp group, how would people contribute? Vicky reckoned that Tarage would be the queen of the eye roll emoji and that Carl would forever be posting bin infringement pics. That goes on in my neighbourhood watch WhatsApp a lot. Uh, Vea thought that Toadie would be forever asking if anyone's free to mind the kids. Yes, I thought that Paul would frequently leave the group in a huff at all the lefty chat and Tarage would re-add him without his permission. I think my favourite was um, Matthew's feeling that Dippy would probably share inspirational quotes of photos over sunset memes. Oh, and Guy, um, Guy said, when you depart in a taxi, Ellie has been removed from the group, etc. I love it. I want more of this. More ceramic WhatsApp group storylines, please. That's a brief rundown for the rest of the week because I wanted to have that moment with Faye Brennan. And before we end, I think we need to do Citizen and Citizen of the Week. CJ? So I'm going to go with Nicolette. Citizen. For Citizen. Yeah. For taking the high road. I know she would have liked to go to bed with Chloe. Would have given her a night of what she's been after. And um, I don't know about you girls, but my final trimester, I was very keen. I was very um, um, ready for action. And I reckon you would have said yes to Chloe. But like, I think Nicolette needs to wait a few months. And then yeah. when she's ramped up again and um, on heat, she can hit up Chloe. And I reckon <laughs> it'll be on for young and old. The tiny, like, minuscule stomach that she kept sort of like ceremonially holding I was like are you like six weeks pregnant like what <laughs> yeah what's going on you don't need to actually hold it all the time <laughs> it will stay in there like yeah I'm, I'm at least happy that now she's been eating chips because for months for weeks she's she never when I was pregnant it's all I thought about at every moment of the day it, it, eating just being pregnant, like it consumed everything oh, I did right. and ate and looked at. But Nicolette just ate a bowl of chips and she said, the baby wants salt. I'm like, good, thank you. You need to be saying things like that every minute. Yeah, but also yeah. she should be like having like nosebleeds and like her hair falling out and, yeah. you know, she'll be starting to like have like the really itchy vag and that kind of, you know. <laughs> it should, if they want to make it realistic, you know, they should be. I'd love, I'd love for her to have that conversation with Paul Robinson because he's David's dad as well. So he doesn't approve of his oh, choice anyone, his children in baby say. mama. Yeah. Can I say before we wrap up just one thing that I did want to tell you that I enjoyed very much about the few episodes that I watched? I loved that there was a fat woman on the show who was dressed sexy. Therese! Therese Willis. Is that Paul's, Paul's missus? 
She was Sophie on um, Home and Away. Beautiful, beautiful and Rebecca. I was like, I just love that she's like, you know, she's fat, she's wearing very sexy, revealing kind of, you know, um, tight clothes. She's got like the perfect makeup. She's sort of, you know, vixen-y and, and hot. And I also thought that Sheila as well, you know, was sort of a great um, corrective to a lot of how like older women are presented on TV and that she was like, you know, outrageous and funny and out there and like participating in these like shenanigans about threesomes and she just seemed like a scream and that she dressed kind of sexy as well and that she was, you know, made up but not in a way to kind of, you know, I could tell how old she was. You know what she I mean? She wasn't and a I sketch was like, character. She was a real yeah, woman. Yeah, I was like, I love seeing an older woman and a and a fat woman being the super sexy babes. Yeah. And that's because I'm a fat woman who's getting older. And that's <laughs> what I want to see yeah. on the TV. It's interesting you frame Tarage in that way because she's obviously like Hollywood fat. Like she's a plus size woman, but only in in terms of Hollywood standards, you know, like the show doesn't present yeah. her that way. Yeah, but that's the thing is that, you know, if she was auditioning for a show now and she hadn't been on Home and Away 20 years ago, mm. her weight would be the deal breaker that would mean she wouldn't be cast. Yeah. And so I kind of liked that. I was like, okay, through the magic of how soap works in Australia, she's so beloved, same with Colette Mann and, you know, all these characters, they, they keep coming back around because and everyone's like, oh, she's fat now, that's fine. She's still the same, you know what I mean? And that's how it should be in the world, you know yes. what I mean? Like someone's skinny, someone's fat, same person's going to be one or the other. Cool, fine. That doesn't change the way they dress, doesn't change the way you see no, them. they're doesn't... all beautiful and they're all Yeah, so I kind of liked that and I thought about how many shows that I watch that are American or, I mean, I watch soap that's American. So everyone is literally a size zero the older women have had so much work done. I was like, oh, this is so nice. I mean, I called their their lovemaking hot last week, so yeah. i got to go with that. Yeah, I love it. I just thought she seemed like a very sexy, mm. like a sexualised character kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, she is for sure. You've got to do yeah. your um citizen or citizen yeah. fair. It's got to be citizen, Ma Brennan. Just you've, you've had to straddle two cities, four kids, a winery probably, and you're dealing with a grandkid you're not going to get to meet, a brand-new baby grandkid that you've just met, your illness, you're breaking our hearts. You're coming to the end of your life on your own terms as best you can with very little that you can control. You're a goddamn inspiration, Ma Brennan. Hats off to you. Thanks for your time. And that's where the hive cut us out for our recording. That's why Ned's fired. So just wanted to point out that Karen awarded Citizen of the Week to Toadfish Rebecca for his sensitive handling of the funeral arrangements. And you can follow Karen Pickering on Instagram at Karen Pickering for all the details on the return of Chachet La Femme, feminist show extravaganza. Thank you, CJ the Hot Mess Mum. Instagram, TikTok and new podcast Married on Maths. And we are Neighbours Pod, TikTok, Twitter, Neighbours Council on Facebook. I'm Vaya Pashos. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Ma, 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 Brennan, she taught her for son. Ma, 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 Brennan, to handle their guns. Ma, ma, ma.
she never could cry. Ma, 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 ma. ma Brennan, but she knew how to die.